0: We love you. Uh, At this time, if you have not done so already, families, you're welcome to take your kids to Kids Connection while uh, Pastor Johnny enters in. Well, Pastor Johnny composes himself. (laughs) I don't have a music stand, and I think it's going to be all right, you guys. I think together we're going to figure this out. I also never, I was so nervous, I never turned my Bible to the right place. It's a mess today. All right. Um, if you're visiting, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> this, is a ter- this is a terrible Sunday for that. It really is. Um, so, um, Pastor Gary um, is, is always uh, picking on me. And I know you guys know Pastor Gary and you love, and he's such a loving guy, right? He's such a gentle-hearted man. Uh, it's hard to imagine him picking on me, but he does. He picks on me. Uh, and one of the things he picks on me about is that I use stories of my children's adoptions as sermon illustrations a lot. Uh, I think he has pointed out to me that it is my go-to thing to talk about in sermons, Uh, and it's funny because this week as I prepared for this message, uh, I I went through, I keep all my sermons in a folder on my computer, and I was going through, and I was looking at past messages, Uh, and I looked at the very first message that I ever preached here, and wouldn't you know it, there's a story about adoption uh, in there. And I know that I have gone to that well uh, since then. And now here, my last sermon, uh, I think it's only appropriate to begin with an adoption anecdote. So this is for you, Gary, and it's really, it's for all of us, I hope. So uh, anyone, anyone who has adopted or knows someone who has adopted knows that adoption, uh, it, it can be an expensive Endeavor. And that's not something that I uh, am complaining about. It's not something that I I think it'd be a little bit, you know, a bad thing to uh, complain about because there's no dollar value that can be placed on growing a family. But it's just the reality that the process itself can be um, very expensive. So, um, two of my children, Pastor Gary, I don't know if you know, two of them, uh, two of my children uh, came to our family via uh, uh, adoption. And in both of those situations, in both of those processes, my wife and I were blessed. Uh, by the generosity of people who wanted to help us with the financial aspect of that process, who came alongside us, who joined with us in uh, covering the expenses for those adoptions. And in both um, cases, I can very clearly remember moments where we would receive gifts from um, distant acquaintances, um, people that we only knew uh, in like an online kind of a way, or even people who were strangers. And yet those donations felt particularly poignant to us. They were usually gifts of less than $50, which compared to the cost of adoption feels very small, compared to some of the, the gifts that we received uh, was, seemed fairly small. Um, but they were some of the most precious gifts that we received throughout those processes, because those gifts were something beyond financial, They were something beyond just a a simple uh, assistance in covering the cost of the process. They uh, represented a unity of spirit that is actually kind of hard to articulate. They were a gift to us, right? They were a financial gift that was given to us, but in very real ways, they were also an offering to the God who was knitting our family together. They were more than financial they, they represented a gift, not just to us, but to uh, the faith in God that God was doing something in our family that only God could do. So this morning, we're finishing our series in Philippians that began way back in September that we called Satisfied, right? I hope. Um, and week by week, we have looked through this book of Philippians and considered what it means to be satisfied. What does it mean to find contentment and fulfillment in Christ? What does it mean to be filled up, even to overflowing in the joy of God? And now we have come to the end of the book and Paul, the author of the letter that we call Philippians, switches over from giving kind of pastoral and practical advice to the people. He's switching over from teaching mode and he switches into a much more personal mode. He's, he's ending here on a much more personal note than he has been writing the rest of the letter in. And as I read and reread the passage, I, I got this feeling that the Spirit was giving me a gift um, in being able to preach these words as my final message at the bridge, because Paul has some things to say to the church in Philippi that I think, if I was to best articulate it, sound like things that I would like to say to you all. So let's dig in this morning Um, And if we all work together, we'll get through this without too many tears, and it'll be great, I promise. Um, So this is Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 through 20. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving. "'Except you only. "'For even when I was in Thessalonica, "'you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. "'Not that I desire your gifts. "'What I desire is that more be credited to your account. "'I have received full payment and have more than enough. "'I am amply supplied now that I have received "'from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. "'They are a fragrant offering.' an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So uh, my wife is uh, an avid reader. I read maybe a handful of books a year. I start a lot of books but don't finish a lot of books, okay? You can't put that on your Goodreads. You get no credit for starting a book that you do not finish. If you're trying to take credit, stop. It doesn't count, okay? That's me. I read a lot. I start a lot of books that I don't finish. But my wife is a book finisher. She is an avid reader. She reads several books a month. And sometimes she'll start a book... And she'll get a little ways in, and then I'll say, how is it? How's it going? And she will say, it's just meh. The book is just meh. And I'll say, well, give it 100 pages. And then after 100 pages, she'll tell me that it's upgraded from meh to hmm. Right? It's upgraded. It's, it's gone better. But she presses on, and then a lot of times when she's done, I'll ask her how she liked the book. She'll close the book up, and I'll say, well, it went meh. Mm, how did it end? Like, what happened? And she'll say something like, it all came together in the end, and it was actually really good. The ending made the book, right? The ending made the whole thing work together. I, like I just said, am pretty prone to bail out on a book if it's not capturing my attention or if I uh, just get a little bit bored. But her ability to stick out books helps her enjoy reading a lot more in the end. So I was reading about this uh, passage in Philippians, and I was reading N.T. Wright, and he says something about Philippians that makes me think about the way my wife finishes books. He says, sometimes when you get to the end of a novel or short story, there is a moment when something is revealed that makes sense of a mood, a motive, a feeling that has been in the narrative all along. Philippians ends like that. At last, we understand the full extent of why Paul is so grateful for the partnership in the gospel which this church in particular has exercised. So sometimes when Paul sat down to write a letter to a church, it's because there were big issues that needed to be addressed. There were things going on in that church that were uh, not proper for the people of God to be involved in. If you go read the book of 1 Corinthians, you'll see this is like the, the general idea is these people are messing up all over the place. And Paul is bringing his pastoral tone and he's saying, you've got to get this stuff straightened up. And in those letters, Paul's tone can be a little bit harsh. But Philippians, as we read through, is unique because of the warmth that Paul very clearly feels for the church. When he thinks about them, he gets warm fuzzies instead of a stress rash, okay? These people have supported him, they have been with him, and he loves them very much. And that's not to say they're perfect or that they never experience problems, right? Every church goes through difficult moments. But the prevailing emotion for Paul as he is writing this letter is one of joy. It is one of warmth. He loves these people, and he wants them to know the deepness of his affection. When he sets out to write this letter, this is the perspective that he is starting from, one of warmth and love and affection. And one of the reasons for his love of the church in Philippi is that they have taken care of him. Throughout his journeys, throughout every place that he's gone, this church has been a constant in his life, offering him and providing him care. Even when he was away to plant new churches, they continued to send him support. He tells them that they were the only church to support him in that way. The only church to continue to send support to him after he had left to go on his mission. And he recalls after that two other times that the Philippians sent him support in times Of his direst need. When Paul found himself in trouble, he found himself in a bad situation. The church was there. That's actually his response. This letter that he's writing is because they have just sent him a gift because they found out he was in prison, right? This is what they do they are meeting his needs. When he is uh, in trouble, they are there. And Paul is clear that while the money was appreciated, we always appreciate the money, right? While the money was appreciated, the dollar amount is completely unimportant compared to what the gifts meant, compared to the deeper thing that was happening with the gifts. And to express that, Paul uses a unique picture. He says that the most recent gift that they sent him with this person named Epaphroditus, which you could say five times fast if you're... Uh, a little bit crazy. This most recent gift, he says, is a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. So um, those of you who have kids, I'm sure that your kids never fight or argue. I'm sure they've never talked back. I'm sure everything is copacetic, and you're great parents, and you don't have to worry about that stuff, which is great. I'm glad for you, okay? I, uh, It's my last Sunday, so I can admit to you I'm not a perfect parent, and my children aren't perfect. Uh, There you go. Uh, And they don't always get along. And usually it's no big deal, right? But every once in a while, the bickering and the fighting, it elevates, it elevates, and someone says something or shoves someone, and I have to step in and try to mediate, right? Or my wife has to step in and try to mediate. And generally, that means someone has to say, I'm sorry, That's just, that's just like the base level. That's where we're starting. You said that your brother was a stupid booger brain. We got to say I'm sorry. That's unacceptable. We can't do that, right? So you have to sit down and say sorry. And generally, when you say, hey, you got to tell your brother I'm sorry, it sounds like this. I'm sorry, (laughs) right? And then we get to have a conversation about how we say something being as important as what we are saying, right? The way that we're saying it, the way we're going about it, the way that we're approaching it is as important as what we are actually saying. And after things have calmed down, things usually end with an I'm sorry that is genuine and fences are mended and then they never fight again (laughs) until later. Um, And then they fight again. So the, the, Paul, the language that Paul uses here in this passage uh, to describe the gift, he says it's a fragrant offering. This is pulled directly from the Old Testament, which is Paul's like M.O., right? Paul knows the Old Testament. He knows all the rules, and he knows all the stuff, and so he likes to pull from the Old Testament to use it as a picture. So he says this gift is like a fragrant offering, and that is straight out of Old Testament language about offerings that are made specifically to God. And if you read through the Old Testament, it becomes pretty clear that to God, not every offering is considered fragrant. Some are downright stinky, right? Some offerings do not make the cut. And what makes an offering fragrant is not the size of the offering, like the biggest sheep is considered good, but the smallest sheep is considered bad. That is not like the parameters of what makes an offering fragrant to God. It is the heart behind the offering. Offerings made to God as a response to the love and grace of God are welcome, but offerings made out of a sense of obligation or uh, out of a sense of trying to bribe God, right, all through the Old Testament we see these are not considered fragrant offerings. So what Paul is expressing to the Philippians is that the gifts that they made to him were not only or just about him, but that they were gifts made in response to To God, and so they were gifts that mattered in an eternal sense. These gifts went out beyond just being a kindness between them and Him. These were a response, Paul says, to the goodness and love of God. The Philippians, as they made these gifts, were responding not just to Paul's need, but out of a sense of communion with Paul that ran deeper. It was a Holy Spirit connection between them, and so when they gave a gift, it was out of this spirit, and it meant something deeper. They didn't give to Paul out of obligation, but out of love and gratitude. They didn't give to Paul hoping that they'd be his favorite church, but out of a desire to be in communion with him. Paul even connects these gifts to his ministry as a whole. He says what God has accomplished through Paul would not have been possible without the support that the Philippians gave him right? He says, my work, my mission, this whole thing that I've been doing to spread the good news of Jesus Christ, it's not possible if you all had not been there to support me. He's saying there is eternal significance to what you did. Their love and support of him has been transformed into changing lives and the growth of the gospel. It is so much more than just money. And the result of these fragrant gifts in the life of Paul, he says, is this, He says he has more than enough. He is amply supplied. Beyond meeting his needs, these gifts have provided Paul with a heart that is well-stocked and full. And as I read this passage, I couldn't shake the feeling that Paul, as he's writing this, was overwhelmed as he wrote. Overcome with love and affection for this church. Because they'd become much more to him than another stop. On his missionary journeys they had become his friends and co-workers in the gospel they had become his spiritual family so in light of all that all the gifts that they've given him paul offers them a blessing in return he tells them that just as they met his needs god will meet theirs Now, if we've been paying attention throughout this book, we know that God meeting their needs doesn't mean everything is going to go great all the time, right? They would not have understood Paul saying, my God will meet your needs, as saying everything is going to be like hunky-dory, easy for you. Paul's literally writing from prison. Don't trust a man writing from prison telling you that everything is going to be easy-peasy, lemon-squeezy, right? That dude's a liar. Paul never says that, though. He says when God meets your needs, something deeper happens within you, something something beyond our physical needs and beyond our material needs is met. So when Paul says this, he's talking to them at a deep spiritual level level. He's saying, my God will meet your needs. No matter what happens, no matter where they go, no matter the circumstances they find themselves in, God will be there with them, holding them up and carrying them through. This is the blessing he leaves them with. This is what he says God will do for them because of what they have done for God. Maybe they thought they were doing it for Paul, but Paul says, no, no, no. This is way bigger than me. You've done this for God. So, Paul is weird because not everybody liked Paul, right? We get the New Testament, and we only get Paul's side of the story pretty much. Uh, Unless you look at the book of Acts, you get a little bit more. But as we read these epistles, we only see from the perspective of Paul. It would be important to remember that Paul had some very real enemies, Um, Right at the beginning of this book, of the beginning of Philippians, he talked about that. He said there were people who were excited to see him put in prison. And these are like other Christians that are excited to see him put in prison. So he has made some uh, not-so-fond relationships over his time, right? Um, And I think I can see why. Paul had some pretty big opinions. Um, Paul usually talked like he knew everything. And as much as Paul preached about grace... He could be a little bit nasty to people who got on his bad side. And I, it, look, this is just the truth. I'm allowed to say this about Paul because this is what is true, right? If we read the Bible, if we read our history books, we see that Paul had an aggressive personality. We'll just put it that way. He was flawed, and he was human. And so um, I don't think I'm half the man that Paul was. Good, good Lord, if I stand up here and say I'm like Paul, you should stone me like they tried to stone Paul. Um, I'm not half the man Paul was, but I feel like I understand his state of mind Um, while he wrote these words to the Philippians, right? I think I understand because when you are aware of your imperfections as a person and as a pastor, Paul might have been an aggressive personality, but he knew he was an aggressive personality, right? Like he was self-aware of these things. And when you're aware of your imperfections, when you're aware of the ways that you haven't been a perfect pastor or a perfect person it's an overwhelming thing to be loved by a church it's an um, overwhelming thing to have people care about you so for paul being loved meant that they shared in his troubles that's what he says you shared in my troubles with me you sent me help and support when i was in prison right you gave me what i needed when i needed it the most you made it possible for me to move forward for me, as I read that, I thought about the love and support that this church showed me when my daughter Eliza was in the hospital for a month on a ventilator. And the church didn't ask for anything for a month. You just showed up, and took care of me, and took care of my family. You were just there. I think about this, and I think about the grace that you gave me when I made mistakes, didn't live up to expectations. I think about the affection that I felt when even as my family and I moved to Waterloo, I was able to continue to be a pastor here. And you supported me in doing a strange and difficult-to-explain ministry uh, in the digital community. You continued to support me. You continued to give me love, to wrap your arms around me. And like Paul, I want to say today that those gifts are a fragrant offering to God not because they were to me. Like Paul says, I don't desire your gifts. What I desire is that what this church has done be added to your account because your love and generosity have eternal significance, that the impact of your support and grace have left my heart filled up to overflowing. I have received full payment and more than enough I am amply supplied, and like Paul, I am overwhelmed with affection for you, overwhelmed that I've had the joy and privilege of being your pastor, your friend, your co-worker in the gospel, and part of your spiritual family. It's a gift. It was a gift to Paul. It's a gift to me. I think, I think doing communion every week is fitting, and I think it's particularly fitting in my mind to be able to share um, in this meal with you all one last time together today. I don't want to make this about me. The table's not about me. The table's about the sacrifice that Jesus made on behalf of us and on behalf of the world. And then something extraordinary happens when the people of God come together and remember that sacrifice made, that we are enriched and enlivened, that we are re engaged by the Holy Spirit to live out our kingdom values in the world. And so, as Suzanne said, right, that's what we have been about together for five and a half years. And so, I want us to be reminded today that as the people of God, we care for each other. Just as the Philippians cared for Paul, just as you have cared for me, we care for each other. And we are reminded as we gather together that we have been made part of the family of God, a spiritual family, uh, no longer strangers to each other or to God, but together. So I want to invite the elders up today to distribute the elements. You're not distributing. People are coming forward. I have to use non-confusing language. Um, If you have uh, gluten sensitivity, this is your line right here. Uh, There's a little tray just for you. If you have a hard time standing up and coming forward to receive communion, you just stay where you are, uh, maybe raise your hand, and Tammy is going to take care of you. She's got those plates over there. But this morning, um, as we gather together up here at the front, as we move forward to receive this uh, bread and this juice, as we do so in remembrance of the the sacrifice Christ made for us, I pray that we would also do so with the belief that something is happening within us as individuals and within us as a community that that fills us up in a new way to go out and spread the love of God in the world with each other and with our neighbors. So on the night he was betrayed, Jesus was sitting with his disciples and they were having a meal. And uh, he... Picked up the bread. It was real bread. This is not. Um, and he broke it. And they didn't know what was going on. I love, I love this story, and I've said this so many times to you. I love this story because the disciples are so dumb. They didn't know what was going on. And he broke the bread, and he said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Whenever you eat this together, do it in remembrance of me. And then it says he took the cup, and he got it ready, and he held it up. And he said, this is my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And they were so confused, but they ate it and they drank it. And so this morning, if you're a little confused about something, you're just like them. That's okay. If you don't have all the answers, if you don't know what's going to happen next in your life, if you don't even know what you believe anymore, I think it's okay. Come forward, join the people of God. And do this in remembrance of the sacrifice that Christ has made for us.